Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? It is good to see you. We are about to uh, finish the Sunday portion of our series on the end times. Uh, I say the Sunday portion because um, there's a little bit more of this that, uh, that I want to cover that I couldn't do during the Sundays. So this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we're going to look through sort of the chronology and the events of the, uh, of the book of Revelation, okay? So this week at 7 p.m., uh, it's gonna be a special time. We're also gonna have uh, time to pray for needs. If you have needs that evening, we'd love to pray for those. And we're gonna observe Holy Communion this week as well as we sort of get ready and get our hearts ready for a missions festival that's beginning next week. And I'm so excited about that. So today, as we complete sort of the Sunday portion of this, today I wanna talk to you about the rapture of the church. How many of you ever heard the term the rapture before? Let me see your hands. Okay, all right. Um, how many of you get excited about, no, no, how many of you, the rapture, now I'm not even gonna ask for hands. Some of you get so excited about the idea of the rapture. Some of you get so fearful about the idea of the rapture. What I wanna do today is try my best to explain biblically what it is and then biblically the position that, that I carry, that this church has carried for 62 years, is, uh, and it may go further back, I just know it's gone back for 62 years in the belief of when the rapture will take place in sort of the uh, chronology of end time events in that. So you ready to learn? I got a lot to cover this morning. You ready to learn? All right, very good. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. Starting at verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, I pray you give me your words to say. Anoint them as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I don't know what your background necessarily is when it comes to teaching about end times or the rapture of the church. I know when I was sort of in my formative years, as we talked about the rapture of the church, I was not encouraged about those things. I was a little bit fearful of those things. And the reason why is I was born late 1969. And um, so the 1970s were sort of my childhood and formative years as I'm getting ready in elementary school and all of that. So during that time period, what I found was that there was a movie that came out. I think the movie was called A Thief in the Night. And it was about the rapture. Anybody know the movie that I'm talking about? So there was, it, it was all about the rapture. It was about, um, and the focus on it, I remember as a kid, was not encouraging. It was fearful. It was, you know, you better watch out. You could be left behind. And so there was even this song in that that was very famous, very popular at that time. I still to this day think it's creepy. Um, it literally had these lyrics that says, there's no, time, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. It's like, oh. To such an extent, my parents were pastoring a church at the time. And um, they, so I told you when I was born, so I don't, I, I will let you know. We didn't have cell phones, okay? We barely had cordless phones. Okay, we did not have caller ID at all. You didn't have any of that. So I still remember 
a couple of times walking in from school and my parents weren't home. And because of that creepy movie, I thought, oh no, have I been left behind? And I couldn't call them. They didn't have a cell phone. I couldn't. So they also didn't have a tracking Life 360 or find my iPhone. None of that. I don't know where they are. So I could not find. You know what I did? I called. I thought in my head, who's the most righteous person in the church we attend? Who is that? And then I got the old big phone book and just went through. And I called. So the days before caller ID, they didn't know it was me calling. I called. And if they didn't answer, I'd call the next righteous person until finally I got someone I thought was a righteous person that would answer the phone and I wouldn't say a word. I would just hang up and go, oh, thank God. (laughs) That was my childhood experience with the idea of the rapture. That is not at all why God wrote scripture about end times and prophecy and even talking about the rapture of the church. So I'm going to give you some definitions as we start off this morning. They are going to be, uh, if, if this may interest you, you may feel like, oh, Lord, I just jumped off into the deep end of the pool, okay? All of these notes are on the app. They're also on the website. If you'll just go and click on Revelation, you can download the notes. So you don't have to take all of this down. You can, you can have these after you leave here. But there's some terminology that I think you need to know. The first one is millennialism. In biblical terms, this is a belief that there's a literal reign of a thousand years of Jesus Christ on earth that is mentioned in Revelations chapter 20. Okay, so that's millennial. The thousand, millennialism is millennial, a thousand year reign. There is a term called the rapture. This is a belief that Jesus will return to catch away believers dead and alive before the millennial or a thousand year earthly reign of Jesus. And then there's a term we'll talk more about on Wednesday night, which is tribulation. This is a specific time of trouble, special time of judgment from God that will impact the entire world, will be unprecedented in its affliction, and will be culminated by the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. So the rapture is where there is a catching away. Jesus comes in the clouds. The second coming is at the end of the, um, at the end where he comes back and returns and rules and reigns forever and ever. So There are, in addition to that, there are three views on the rapture. If this isn't confusing enough, let's go deeper into some subpoints. okay? I'm just going to give you some terms here so that you'll know. They're not really hard. They make sense as you look at it. But one is called pre-tribulation rapture. That's a belief that the rapture will occur before the tribulation, the seven-year period of wrath, God's wrath that's poured out, as mentioned in the book of Revelation. That's pre-tribulation. There is what is called the mid-tribulation. This means that that the belief that there is Jesus will come and rapture his church at the midway point, the three-and-a-half-year point. And the the reason for that belief is is there is the tribulation, and then the Bible talks about the last three-and-a-half years of that tribulation is the great tribulation where it gets worse during that time period. And then there's the post-tribulation rapture, which believes that the rapture will occur after the tribulation, but before the millennial reign of Jesus. So before we get into the rapture thing, there is also, I don't even have this in your notes. I need you to know that there are um, three beliefs that are 
When I say commonly held, much more commonly than others, there is premillennialism, which means Jesus is going to come before his thousand-year reign. There is postmillennialism that they, mean, they believe that Jesus won't come till after the thousand years. And there is what is called amillennialism. Ah just simply means not, okay? That, that it is a, a symbolic thousand-year period. So what we're doing right now is the symbolic age of that and all of that. I need you to know, um, premillennialism, is the earliest belief in the second coming of Jesus Christ according to church history and the early church fathers, okay? It is the belief of this church, is the belief of our denomination, our tribe, is that. Um, now, in, in premillennialism is every belief of the rapture. So pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, those are all before the thousand years. And as a matter of fact, our denomination that we belong to, that, that, that our doctrine, our line, that we align with on those things, um, literally only states we believe in the premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ, meaning there are, there are places and for interpretation for when you think the rapture is going to take place and all of those things. That, that, that the, the, the net is wide and the doors are wide, the tent is wide for everyone to come in at that moment in time. Because here's what you know. These are not beliefs about your salvation. You know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to this earth, died for our sins, rose to new life after the third day, ascended into heaven as preparing a place for us in eternity, and all who call on him shall be saved and will spend forever and ever with him. That is salvation, okay? All of the other things are considered, they're important, but they're secondary. And yet, they're still important to understand in this. So, what we know for certain is this is that regardless of where you think it's going to happen, is that we know this, the rapture will be sudden and that the rapture will be unexpected by the world. Here's why we know this. In Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 22, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to his followers, the time will come when you will want very much to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will say to you, look, here he is, or look, here he is. Stay, stay where you are. Don't go away and search. When the Son of Man comes again, he will shine like lightning which flashes across the sky and lights it up from one side to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by the people of this time. When the Son of Man comes again, it will be as it was when Noah lived. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. Then the flood came and killed them all. It will be the same as during the time of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from the sky and killed them all. This is how it will be when the Son of Man comes again. On that day, a person who is on the roof and whose belongings are in the house should not go inside to get them. A person who is in the field should not go back home. Remember Lot's wife. Those who try to keep their lives will lose them, but those who give up their lives will save them. I tell you on that night, two people will be sleeping in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taking, taken and the other will be left. Two people will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. The followers asked Jesus, where will this be, Lord? And Jesus said, where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather. I, I'm just gonna let the awkwardness of that settle in, okay? What he's, what he's saying is this. He's not trying to be curt. He's not trying to be coy. He's trying to say, isn't it obvious? Sometimes he says, when the fig tree buds, don't you know it's time for the fruit? He said, if, if there's a dead body, don't you know vultures are circling? He said, 
When the time is right, you'll know. When the signs are there, you'll see them. So what we know for certain is that the rapture will be sudden and the rapture will be unexpected. And we know there are three views, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. I'm going to share with you uh, my belief in that uh, and the reason why I believe it. Um, and this is not because I was raised in it. Um, this is because I have done the research myself and I find myself believing the things that I was raised with, but not because I was raised in it, because I studied the scriptures for myself. That doesn't mean that if you believe something different, that something's wrong. That just means I believe that there is the most scriptural information and points to this belief. And I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which means that Jesus is coming to call the church. He's coming on the clouds to call the church to catch them away before the tribulation period that is going to occur in Revelation. I do not believe that the rapture necessarily is going to be the beginning of the tribulation. The scripture tells us that it's going to be the signing of the covenant with Israel, the peace treaty with the Antichrist that begins the seven-year uh, tribulation period. We'll cover some of that this Wednesday night in there. I want to give you, though, because um, there are three different beliefs, and there's probably some beliefs with you in here, and you've probably heard things or anything, what I want to do is tell you three of the most common misconceptions or arguments against pre-tribulation rapture, and I want to answer those. The first one is the most common, and that is the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible. And it's true, the word rapture is not in the English scripture, but the word rapture actually comes from the Latin translation of the Greek document. So New Testament was written in Greek. Then it was translated into what is called the Latin Vulgate by the church, which was used for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you have a King James Bible, New King James Bible, this is where you're still, it's the Latin form of the Greek in that. The Latin word that is found in the scripture that we read this morning in verse 17, where it says, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The word caught up in Latin is called rapier. And if you translate rapier into just a translated English word, it is rapture. But scripture, instead of just saying rapture, gives the definition of the word, which is caught up in that. So the word rapture doesn't appear in an English Bible, but it appears in a Latin translation of it and is where it's derived from. And literally that word and the Greek word literally mean caught up or snatched away is what it means. So that's where the, the, the terminology comes from, is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 in that. The second misconception is this, is that pre-tribulation belief only began about 150 years ago. The argument is made that through men like Darby and Schofield and uh, Dake, that that appeared dur during which a time, especially Dake, through what was called dispensational theology. So that is about 150 years old, but that's not a true statement. It, it is true that those men agree with pre-tribulation, but it is not true that that's the earliest form of it. As a matter of fact, the earliest form of pre-tribulation in its earliest form is found in a writing called the Shepherd of Hermes written in 140 AD, which means that it's 50 years after John the Apostle writes the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, it was so accepted during that time period that one of the earliest, most respected church fathers, uh, Irenaeus, who was a disciple of Polycarp, 
who was a direct disciple of John, the apostle who wrote Revelation, believed so much in this theology and this writing that he deemed it almost on the level of Holy Scripture. So the idea that this came around about 100, 150 years ago is just false in that. It's one of the earliest forms of belief 50 years after John writes Revelation of eschatology, which is the study of end times. That's all that word means. When you hear eschatology, it means end time study. So it's not 150 years old. It dates back to 50 years right after, in written form, in written form, after the book of Revelation is written. The third is this, is that pre-tribulation belief is simply about escapism. Now, I will admit there are some people in the pre-tribulation camp that hold this view. I think it's erroneous. This is not, pre-tribulation is not going, I don't want to go through stuff, so I'm going to believe this. But I believe there's some of that out there. I believe that's convenient for people to do so. I I believe that um, the current circumstances that people are going through cause them to want to believe some of those things. But you can't paint a broad brush across everyone just because some believe. Listen, I'll tell you this, early forms of Pentecostalism were filled with this idea of escapism. The reason why was they were being persecuted, not by the world, but they were being persecuted by the Baptist and the Methodist churches after the filling of the Holy Spirit, and they were being cast out and excommunicated in there. So you've got, you've got songs that aren't necessarily theologically correct. There's nothing wrong with them, but it's, they're not necessarily theologically correct that are just about, I just need to get out of this. There's a, um, how many of you ever heard the song, The Good Old Gospel Ship? You ever heard that? It's an old, old song. Um, and it was written back during the persecuted times of Pentecostals. And one of the verses says, if you're ashamed of me, you have no cause to be. For with Christ, I'm an heir. If too much fault you'll find, you'll surely be left behind while I'm sailing through the air. <laughs> I don't find the love of Jesus in there at all. I find it like, here, let me stick this in the eye of those people that don't like me. That's kind of escapism. Okay, but that's not pre-tribulation. Because Jesus actually tells us that in this world, you will have trouble. You will have hardships. You will have persecution. There will be things that come against you. But he says, take heart. I've already come, overcome the world. Pre-tribulation is not about avoiding pain. Pre-tribulation is standing on God's word that we don't incur God's wrath. There's a difference between hardship and persecution and God's wrath. You will endure pain. You will endure physical pain in this life. You'll endure persecution. You'll deal deal with emotional pain. You'll deal with all of those things. Jesus said, take heart. He also said that I'm with you. Even to the end of this time, I'm with you. But scripture is very, very clear that the people of God are not subject to God's wrath that is going to be poured out on the unbelievers. And that is what the tribulation is all about, is the wrath of God, not just, you can't lump the wrath of God in with all hardship. So I want to give you some scripture, how it points to pre-tribulation rapture. I'll also give you a final note. Um, This is my belief that I hold. This is the belief of this church. This has been the belief of this church. It may go farther back than this. I haven't had the chance to investigate, okay? Okay. But I know that this belief is held by the pastoral leadership, uh, the, the lead pastor, senior pastors of the church dating back to 1960. I, I don't know 
prior to Dr. Paul Walker, I just know that from 1960 till right now, there has been a consistent holding of this belief for this church that we are a part of. Now, let me give you some scriptures that point to pre-tribulation rapture, the reason why that I settle in this. So I'm gonna share as many as possible with you. If I don't read them, download the notes. There are more scriptures on the notes that I'm gonna read than I'm going to read to you this morning in this, okay? The first is this. I need you to know that Jesus uses Noah and Lot as examples of his return. Now, this is really, really important. Out of all the people that Jesus could talk about, and someone didn't say, what do you think about Noah and what do you think about Lot? They asked Jesus, tell us what it will be like when you come again. And Jesus said, I'm gonna use these two men as examples. So Jesus doesn't use things haphazardly. He doesn't use things off the cuff. There's a purpose for the reason that he uses them. Let me read to you what he says about Noah in this as an example. As Jesus is talking about, and he uses these, not in different moments, back to back to explain what his coming is going to be like. Concerning Noah, in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, it says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings, Right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Then immediately he talks about Lot. Immediately then he says in verse 28, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So in both cases, Jesus says judgment is poured out after these two men are pulled out. Now, why is that important? Because scripture calls both Noah and Lot preachers and men of righteousness. Specifically calls them righteous in an unrighteous time. So what, what is the men that are believed to be the embodiment, epitome of righteousness in an unrighteous time, Jesus said, it's gonna be like it was in their day. And they're removed and then wrath comes. The righteous are removed and the wrath comes on the unrighteous. Think how easy it would be. I wanna to read to you, once again, the scripture. And take out Noah and take out Lot in the very last part where he talks about I want to take out that part so you can see how seamlessly it would be for this all to make sense without him saying, and yet he says it anyway. So look what he says in verse 26. He says, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time he could have said the flood came and destroyed them all. And that makes perfect sense. But he didn't. He said right up until the time Noah entered his boat, and then the flood came. In Lot's case, he said, in the world it was in the days of Lot, people went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building. He could have said, and then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all, but he didn't. He said, until the morning, Lot left Sodom. It is a picture of righteousness being pulled out and God's judgment being poured out on the unrighteous. Jesus, very specific, very purposely used these men as examples for that. It points to the righteous being pulled out before the wrath of God being poured out. 
I wanna give you a few pre-tribulation scriptures that I want you to just, that you can have. Um, obviously, the one that we read at the beginning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, it speaks because the people were worried. They're looking for Jesus to come again, but they were worried. What happens though? If people die before Jesus comes again. And so Paul writes in chapter four, and he writes in chapter five, that you don't have to worry about these things. He says, you don't have to worry about that because they're going to be raised to new life. We're gonna be caught up together with them in the clouds and we're gonna forever be with the Lord. So he said, don't worry about these things. Don't worry at all about those things. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36, one of the earliest things that he says, he says, talking about the end times, he says, verse 34, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. And notice what he says, and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the son of man. So he says, these things are coming. They're going to happen. And everybody on the earth is going to experience them. But you stay strong and you pray that you escape these horrors and stand before the son of man. It is a picture of the idea that it's going to be poured out on all the earth. No one is going to be exempt from this. He says, but you can escape it and be with me at the time this is being poured out. The next passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 10. It says, now concerning how and when all this will happen. By the way, just realize this is immediately following when he says, that we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That, that passage ends, that's chapter four. This is chapter five, okay? And we sometimes stop reading. We'll read a chapter, the next day we'll read a chapter. These didn't have chapters and verses when they're written. They're just letters. So this is a fluid continuation of thought from what was just said. He says, now concerning when... How and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. And when people are saying everything's peaceful and secure, disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day, we don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Be, stay alert, be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the, the confidence of our salvation. Verse nine, for God chose, not, chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us. Whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. Verse nine for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. What is really, really important, I've told you before, context matters in scripture. You don't pull a verse out and try to define it. You have to read it in the context in which it was written. The entirety of chapter four and chapter five in Thessalonians is talking about the day of the Lord and the pouring out of God's wrath. So when it says, talks about that you are saved or salvation comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, it's actually not talking about the salvation we're talking about, like salvation from sin, like Romans 5, 9 is talking about, the saving of God's wrath from sin. It's talking about the context. So when it says to be saved from 
The antecedent, what it's referring to, is actually in verse 2 there, and all of it is talking about the second coming, the day of the Lord and the pouring out of God's wrath. So it's a saving from the wrath of God poured out on the unrighteous during that time in the day of the Lord, which is considered to be the tribulation from that. I also want to give you a little bit of evidence from Revelation. The word church, which means for you and me, it's the, the Greek term is ekklesia. It means the called out ones. That word is used to talk about the body of Christ all throughout scripture. In Revelation, when it talks about the end times, you will find the church mentioned in chapters one through chapters three. You will then find the church mentioned in chapters 19 through chapters 22, where you will not find the church is chapters 16 through 18, which talks about the tribulation that's going to happen and the great tribulation. You will find believers, but they're never referred to as the church. They're referred to as saints. The, talks of, the Bible talks about being tribulation saints, those whose souls have been stand before the Lord because they've been martyred because of their faith during the tribulation period, but they're never called the church. They won't be the church until after when we all stand before the Lord in chapters 19 through 22. It is an indication that the church is going to be removed, the believers removed in Revelation before the, revelation, before the tribulation starts in chapters six, uh, 6 through 18. So there are more scriptures in the notes. I don't have time to go through them all. But if you want a scriptural references and the reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, it's there. Because Jesus specifically uses those to talk about Noah and Lot as the righteous are removed and God's wrath is poured out on the unrighteous to say this is what it's going to be like. And then the other scriptures that refer to his second coming in the rapture talk about the exemption of wrath being poured out on his people. Once again, this is not escapism. This is, you will have hard times in this life, but you will not have God's wrath poured out on you. Because of Jesus Christ, his wrath was poured out on his own son so that his love could be poured out on you. That's the gospel, is that wrath was put on him so his love could be put on us. Now, I want to talk to you one more thing, which is the question that's in everybody's mind, and it's about when. Okay, pre-tribulation, rapture, mid, post, whatever, you know, because if you're talking about it, you're talking, there's a seven-year difference there, okay? When's this all going to happen? So let me talk to you about rapture timing. And there are two passages that are included in your notes. What I want to read to you is the second passage, okay? So I want to read to you Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 through 36. It says, And then at the last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be a deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels, and with the mighty blast of a trumpet, they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. Verse 34 is what everybody wants to focus on. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from this scene or this earth until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, 
No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So, that passage, especially that verse, verse 34, is then one that intrigues everybody. When you see these things, this generation will not pass away. And in regards to Bible prophecy, there's a lot of speculation as to what that actually means. And so there's a lot of speculation as to what the starting point is. The starting point, some scholars believe, actually most scholars believe, that it's probably 1948 when we talked about that and when Israel became a nation in one day, we talked about it last week, that that was sort of the start of the clock. Um, uh, some view that um, as the 1967 might be the date because that's when the influx of uh, Jews really began in earnest after the Six-Day War is over with. Uh, so you've got some debate on when that clock actually starts. But then it's this generation will not pass until this happens and the Lord's going to come. And so what you have is you have Bible scholars and prophetic scholars who are trying to give this window based upon that. And I'm going to tell you, why I don't agree with most of the windows, okay? And if this disagrees with your favorite prophetic teacher, okay. <laughs> but please, please, listen, you're not gonna convince me otherwise, okay? So I was, I was gonna be mean, and so I was gonna be mean and I was gonna say this, so I'm gonna tell you what I was gonna say, but I don't mean it, okay? I was going to tell you, if you disagree with me, you can send your emails to kirkdon'tcare.com, but I'm not. <laughs> Jesus would not allow me to mean that, so. Once again, secondary issues, not salvation issues. Most scholars believe it's 1948, and what they do is they put a, uh, Psalm 90 and 10 says that the sum of our days is 70 years or if there's good health, 80 years. Kind of a general saying in scripture. And so they put 1948 plus 70. That's 2018, probably not hit. 80, 2028. One of the books that I read and looking at all of this, um, it had some really good stuff in it, but at the very end of it, the guy was like, I'm not trying to predict, but then he predicted. So, <laughs> but he said, if, it, if it's 1948 and it's 80 years, and you know the tribulation might be included in that, I mean, 2021, he wrote this in 2019. Well, it's 2022, okay? This is the problem with that. When you said all these arbitrary, you forget something. Well, something we looked at earlier in an earlier message. God uses time differently than we use it. And God accomplishes his purpose in his time, not our time. Let me just explain something. This generation shall not pass. Do you know... You can't just say, even if 1948 is the correct starting point, you can't start adding scripture, I mean, adding years from there. Do you know how long a generation is? I mean, right now, you know what generations are, people that are born in the same time under the same circumstances that are familiar. So right now, we talk about each other in generations. Right now, we talk about silent generation. We talk about boomers. We talk about Gen X and millennials and, and Gen Z. You know, I mean, you, we talk about these. And we talk about these, and we generally are talking about somewhere between a 15 and 20-year time period based on what we say. In the New Testament, most of the time when they referred to generation, they were referring to a 40-year window. But the Bible also talks about a generation being 80 years in the Old Testament and sometimes even 100 years in the Old Testament as a generation. 
The fact of the matter is, when Jesus said this generation, he didn't tell us what he meant by that time. So even if it's a 40-year window, do you know that means that any point between 1948 and 1988 could be the lifespan? Do you understand? You don't take 1948 and add 80 years. That generation, if it's 40 years, could be born in 1987, and then that generation will not pass. What he's putting is a far end to this. But listen, a generation can still mean up to 100 years in Scripture if we've understood it correctly. And then 70 or 80 years to that, do you understand? If you get the starting point right, there's still the potential. And if we get the rightness of the generation and the lifespan, just from that's a 180-year difference. You say, why are you saying all this? I'm telling you this because don't get so fixated on a year. Don't put your faith in a year. You know, if you're here, you go, no, I, I really believe it's 2028. Can I just tell you something? I hope you're right. <laughs> With everything, I don't mean that in any sarcastic way. I, no, I hope you're wrong. I hope it's tomorrow. But I mean, I, I hope, I hope it's sooner. Okay. But let me tell you something. If January 1st, 2029 rolls around, it's not because my God's not faithful. Because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And they're bigger than your favorite prophecy teacher. What I'm telling you is this. If it doesn't happen in the time that I want it to happen or I think it might happen, the next day he's still God, he's still on his throne, he's still ruling and he's still reigning and he's still coming again. Don't get so fixated on trying to understand when that you miss the point that the longer that he delays, the more people can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And count it a privilege that he counted you worthy to be born right now. You could be born when the gospel is reaching the farthest parts of the world, you can be born when it finally has the potential that every nation, every ethnic group can finally hear the gospel. Count it all joy that you get the opportunity that he has invested in you and placed within you gifts and talents and abilities and passions to be able to share Christ with the world and see this world come to know Jesus Christ. Count it all joy that you potentially are living in the last generation and you'll see Jesus come again. But let me tell you something, if that isn't for you and if you pass before then, can I just tell you something? You're still gonna rise. You're still gonna be with him forever. That body that's coming out of the ground is just temporarily sleeping and is going to be reconnected to your soul that is face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise. It's the God of all heaven and earth who overcame death, hell, and the grave is coming again. And a day and an hour that you do not know, he will come. And instead of trying to plan for the timing. Instead of trying to look for the right clock, Jesus said, prepare a right heart and you won't miss it.
You don't have to worry about the rapture like I did as a child, missing it. You can be encouraged because the opening passage that we read, when Jesus, when Paul writes about Jesus and he says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then he says, verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. The Lord might be long-suffering, but he is not forgetful and he will come again. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? It should not cause you fear and anxiety. But if there is a quickening in your heart, if there is a tinge of worry, it's probably because the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart right now, beckoning you to come into the right relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you know when you came in this place, things aren't right between you and the Lord. You can pray something like this. Just mean it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God that you came to this earth. I believe that you died for my sins, but three days later, you rose to new life again. And that you ascended into heaven and you're preparing a place for me that you're coming again. And you're taking me, you're taking me back with you according to John 14. I yield my life to you. You're Lord of all and you're Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. But lead me from this day forward through your word and through your spirit. And I'll never be the same. Now, would everyone in the room just pray this prayer with me? Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, boldly. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you. What are you willing to say? Pray for me, pastor. I made that decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time. Pray for me this week that I'll be faithful. If that's you, you made that decision. Will you raise your hand really high and hold it up just a moment, please? Yeah, God bless you. Hold them up. Yeah, you're not alone this morning. Amen. 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 All right, you can put them down. Father, we thank you for lives that have been changed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We thank you that the God that we serve is the Lion of Judah, the soon coming King. And we thank you, O oh Lord, that lives that have been restored and today are done, have been done so because of the grace that has been offered through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we give you praise that these lives reflect, reflect your glory. We give you praise that these lives reflect a destiny that you have called us to. And Lord, today they've been given hope. I pray, O oh God, that as they leave this place, the weight of sin lifted off their shoulders and the joy of the Lord just invade their souls. God, I also pray for those that are in the room right now and watching online, that as we recognize that Jesus Christ is still in control of end times, that he holds the key to death, hell, and the grave, that there is nothing that we're experiencing right now that is out of your control. Lord, if there is someone who's facing a physical need right now or someone who's facing an emotional need with anxiety or fear. Lord, there may be some that are facing financial difficulties or family issues, God. I pray that they see you 
as the solution, Lord. Invite you into their circumstances so that you can be Lord over that. Lord, meet needs as only you can. Be a provider, be a healer, be a reconciler. Oh, Lord, be um, one that gives peace, oh, Lord, in every circumstance. And God will be careful to give you the praise because you are King of kings, Lord of lords, above all things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, I'm gonna give you a reason to celebrate today. How about celebrating with me? 10 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Come on, lift up the name of Jesus. Let's do that. Come on, give him praise. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision this morning or maybe over the last few weeks and would like to talk to someone about that and we can help you along the way, uh, we'd love to. Some of our members of our grow team are going to be down front at the end of service. Maybe if you'd like for more information about getting involved here at Mount Prairie North, listen, over the last two months, we've had a record number of people go through our North Life class and begun to uh, get involved in the ministries here. This is a perfect time for you. You got some questions about that? Come see our grow team at the end of service. We'd love to talk with you about that. Don't forget... This Wednesday night, um, starting at 7 o'clock, we're going to go through um, sort of the chronology of Revelation. We're also going to pray for needs and observe Holy Communion and get our hearts ready for Missions Festival, which is next uh, Sunday morning. Uh, speaking of that, i got a couple of things to tell you about that, okay? Next week, what time does service start? Second service. What time were you supposed to be here this morning? 11.15, right. I want to tell you something, be here on time next week because at the beginning of service is our Parade of Nations. It is one of the most fantastic things as we parade the nations and the flags of the nations that we're a part of. Our missionaries come in. It's just a huge celebratory moment where we welcome our missionaries home. So get here, be in your seats. I don't want you to miss such a fabulous part of that day. Uh, I want you to be a part of that. And then I also want to let you know that we have a change in our, um, our Saturday prayer this month because of Missions Festival. So it's normally on the second Saturday of the month. It's actually going to be this Saturday, okay, at 8 o'clock here in the worship center. And we're going to pray over our Missions Festival and over our missionaries as they begin to get ready and rehearse for the Parade of Nations at 9 o'clock. They'll be doing that. But they're going to be here with us. So I want to invite you here this Saturday morning, 8 o'clock from 8 to about 8.45. We're going to pray for our Missions Festival and pray for our missionaries. It's going to be a fantastic time, and I hope you'll be a part of that. Would you stand with me and allow me the privilege to bless you before you leave today? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great day.